Yeah, stump, stump, clap, clap, stump, stump, clap. To dance to it. You got it. Tech Nine? Let's go. Does anybody in here know who Tech Nine is? Anybody? All right, Matt knows who Tech Nine is. Anybody else? Like anybody in here? Dang. Josh, you know who Tech Nine is? Dang, okay. Josh kind of looks like a Tech Nine fan. Tech Nine is, uh, he's a really uh, mediocre uh, rapper, but he is from Kansas City. So he raps about Kansas City. So, uh, so everybody in Kansas City like automatically likes him, even if he's just kind of bad. Um, but yeah, good morning. My name is Kyle. Uh, I'm on staff here at Cornerstone. I am just really pumped to be here uh, with you all this morning. Uh, before we kind of hop in, I, uh, I want to ask somebody. I want to ask my friend. Uh, he's just a really good friend of mine. I want to ask Wendell just to, just to stand up really quick. Just, just really quick, Wendell. Just, just take a nice, just stand up. Yeah, yeah. Give, give Wendell a round of applause. Wendell tried to sneak in the back. He came 10 minutes late to service. Believe it or not, that's actually on time for Wendell. And uh, anyways, Wendell lost a bet, so I wanted to make sure everybody got to see him wearing that, that beautiful Bills jersey. Uh, that might be one of the only times I say beautiful Bills jersey in one sentence, but uh, Wendell... Um, does that. Wendell, if you guys didn't know, Wendell is really bad at making bets. Um, he bets people that he will wear their gear if his team wins, his team loses. Uh, so far, he's zero for two. So thanks for being a good sport, Wendell. Um, but yeah, guys, it is, it is just really, really good uh, to have you guys here. Tonight, or today, tonight, man, I haven't gone... To, Man, whenever I was a student, my first uh, four years, or all four years I was a student, my first four years, I only went to school for four years, um, we went to, we had evening service, so, but I haven't been doing evening service in 10 years, but good morning. I want to apologize to Emily, because Emily earlier said that I think she has heard uh, what I'm going to preach, in, preach on today, uh, she has heard um, for the last six months. So I hope some of what I'm going to talk about today is really refreshing for you all. Um, maybe it'll be new. Uh, Emily, it will not be new. It's just the same thing I've been, I've been uh, talking and dreaming about with you all, or with her, I'm going to share with you guys. And that is, of course, Battle of the Birds. I don't know if you guys have heard of Battle of the Birds. Anybody in here heard of Battle of the Birds? Yeah. Team Red. Hey, we got some te- Team Red. Who won that? I don't even remember. Yeah, Team Red is real salty, just real salty. Uh, Well, we are currently in, we are ending right now, we are ending a four-week series on mercy. And you might be asking, what does Battle of the Birds have anything to do with mercy? Um, That's a good good question. I am hopefully going to explain why I think mercy uh, might have something to do uh, with Battle of the Birds. Uh, Battle of the Birds is just this, uh, in case you don't know what it is, it's this new event that we did uh, the first like kind of week and a half of the um, fall semester where we kind of gathered these two teams. We had uh, Team White. Uh, Team White reigned victorious over Team Red. Team Red Uh, thinks that it was rigged. It probably was, uh, but they lost. Losers lose. Losers try to make excuses. So Team White did it. It was a series of just competitions that we did for a week. We just gathered students from across campus. We just said, we were passing out sweatbands. We said, hey, do you want to come play these games with us? Do you want to come? You you want to come play tag? Do you want to come play volleyball? Do you want to play... quad ball? Do you want to play capture the flag? Do you want to take pictures with people wearing costumes? Uh, We just did all these just bizarre things to get people to come out. And uh, believe it or not, like we did not just play in Battle of the Birds a week before uh, students got here. I started um, kind of dreaming, and, and um, in case you guys want to know, uh, if you ever want me to make a plan, I don't, I don't plan. I only dream. I don't make plans. I dream about things. I don't, I strictly don't make plans. Um, I dream or I scheme, um, but dream. So I started, uh, I started dreaming about Battle of the Birds uh, in February, or no, January, January. 
Um, I went out to Joshua Tree National Park. Uh, I spent uh, like a week there. I was backpacking. Um, I was fasting. I was doing some silence and solitude. And um, for some reason, Battle of the Birds just kept coming into my mind. Um, and, and it didn't even exist at that point in time. It was just in my brain. Um, and I was kind of thinking about, man, what games would be fun? Um, but what I was really dreaming about, I, w- I was dreaming about people. I was like, man, what kind of, what kind of people are going to come? Uh, there was uh, just like a, a whole mess of characters that, that came uh, that first week. Um, I don't know if you guys heard me during volleyball. Um, I was just yelling at this guy. Um, nice job, Chris. Nice job. Way to hold that sign, Chris. He was holding up the scoreboard. I was like, Chris, you were doing such a good job. Uh, come to find out that that man's name is Alex. So I was just yelling at this guy, well done, Chris, well done, Chris. Um, there was these three roommates um, who I just imagined that, that like I was praying for in January. There was these three, um, or I think they were roommates slash friends. It was like Miguel, Anthony, and Logan. Um, these guys were coming, and uh, they were just flipping each other off the whole time. One was on, two of them were on Team Red. One of them was on Team White. Um, we... Uh, and these guys are just flipping each other off. <laughs> there's this girl, uh, there's this girl, Stephanie, that was there who um, we were playing volleyball and uh, she had like a really good serve and she yelled at one of the, she yelled at the other team, take that expletive. That's all I've got to say. She just yelled out, take that expletive. Um, there was like people, um, man, there's so many people like, like Casey, Trevor, uh, my friend Garrett was there, like Dennis, Chaz is in here. Chaz was like a part of it, like, like um, this guy Matt. Um, all of these people were there, and I was just praying for them in February or in January. Like I, I was praying for individuals because I like people. I love being people person. I love talking to people. I love having friends. Um, I'm probably going to talk about this later, but Lucy likes to joke with me that I have more friends than any person that she's ever met. I think I also have probably one of the lowest standards of friendship of any person you've ever met. Like literally, if I know your name, um, we're friends. Eli Eli and I are best friends. I'm probably best friends with everybody as well. Um, But I just really enjoy people. And the question that I got, and, may, and maybe you guys got this question too, the most during Reach Week or during Battle of the Birds is, is why are you out here? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you guys doing these games? Why are you guys giving us lunch? Why, why, why are you out here? I have like a million answers for this question. Uh, it's my job. I could have told people that. It's my job. It, it is my job. I, I guess I don't have to come up with ideas. Um, I volunteered that I wanted to be in charge of, of kind of what uh, Cornerstone is doing the first like, couple weeks of, of school. I said I volunteered for that. But ultimately, like, yeah, it was my job. I, I, I needed to, to do something. Um, it could also be like, I just want more friends. I, uh, I am under the firm belief that like, I can never have too many friends. I'm always trying to add people. That has both um, just kind of like gross things in my heart where like I just feel this need that like I, I want to be affirmed by people, but also I, I just want to be friends with people. I want, to, I want people to feel welcome. I want people to feel um, cared for. I could have said that I just, I, I want a lot of people to come to church. <laughs> That like, and I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but like the idea that if more people come to my small group, if more people come to my event, if more people come to church on Sunday, I feel better about myself. There's part of that in there that like, I just, I want people there. But I think also what I wanted is, is I wanted people to experience something that week. I wanted people to get into contact with community. I wanted people to experience just a little inkling of of what I experienced as a student. And tonight, or today, man, why do I keep saying tonight? Tonight just sounds, just rings better. Today, what I'm going to talk about 
is I think a similar experience that Matthew receives from Jesus that I think I received when I was 19 and I think a lot of people in this room experienced something very similar. Would you all pray with me? Jesus, would we experience you today? I believe firmly that that you are calling all of us, that you have um, invited us all to your table to experience you and to help others experience the same relationship with Jesus, with you, that we, um, we want other people to experience. I pray this morning that um, anything I say that is not of you that, that people would forget, but that people would also um, just hear you ushering them into more of a relationship with you. Would, would you just speak to us today? Amen. So like I said, y'all, we are going to be learning about a character named Matthew. Um, so, we, so we're going to be in Matthew 9 this morning. And, and Matthew uh, wrote the book of Matthew. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, and, and Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And the first uh, eight chapters, um, G- Matthew is not really a character um, in, the, in the story yet. He, he kind of uh, compiled stories from some of the other disciples, some of, some of other people there. But, but in, nine, in, in chapter 9, we get to meet uh, this character, Matthew. And we, and we start in verse 9. So this is Matthew 9, 9. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, Jesus had just kind of been doing... Uh, He's, he's in the process of his ministry. Um, he had kind of healed a paralytic. Um, he's, he's moving. They've gone across the sea. Um, and so he is probably somewhere around in Israel. He's in Galilee. He's in um, Jerusalem. He's, he is somewhere uh, in Israel. And so he, he is moving on. And so as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And so like so many other people in Jesus' life, he calls them and they respond. Matthew responds to the call of Jesus. And so then it moves on to uh, supposedly it's probably, probably Matthew's house. And so, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Focus on that end. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to, not to call the righteous, but sinners. The title of my talk today um, is what, what does a person of mercy look like? What does a, what does a person of mercy look like? And, and in this one, Jesus is kind of the symbol of this person of mercy. And so right away, what I, like I said, is we see Jesus call Matthew, and, and Matthew responds. Now, tax collectors in, uh, in this time, vile people, gross people. According to the Jews, they were people hired by, by Rome to come and, and take um, the tax from um, the Jewish people, and then they would send the tax back to Rome. And then a lot of times what um, tax collectors would do is, is they would actually take more than the tax required by Rome, and they would keep it for themselves. And, and Rome was cool with this. As long as they got theirs, they said, I don't, I don't care how much you take. So, so a lot of people at best, they either, they, at best, they would ignore tax collectors. And at worst, they would cast insults. They would... Um, rebel against them. They couldn't like strongly rebel because that was like Rome, but they would, they would push against 
um, their own people. So like tax collectors were people that stole. And so a lot of times it's like they were just better off ignored. And Jesus looks over and sees him. But not only does he see Matthew, but he acknowledges Matthew. He really sees him. Persons, people of mercy, they see people. They see people. It doesn't matter how lowly people are or how, all to, or how put together people seem. It's like Jesus sees them. Jesus sees people. And then right after being called, it seems like Matthew throws a party. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. If you read uh, the Gospels, um, I think the Jewish people were just always partying. Like that's every time something happens, they're throwing a party. Anytime like a festival is happening, they have a party. Uh, like people get married, having a huge party, week-long party. Um, so apparently if you are now um, a follower of Jesus, that's what they do. They're partying. I don't know if you guys have heard about at the end of the year. Um, it's one of my favorite things we do. We have this end-of-the-year celebration, um, EOI, and then we have like, a, what's a winter celebration at the end of, of first semester. And at both of those things, we celebrate what God is doing in our church, and we do that by doing baptisms. That whenever people decide to follow Jesus, we as a church are going to celebrate. So that's just a little aside is that um, there's a party. And Jesus is kind of the center of this party. That it's not Matthew. Matthew might be hosting the party, but Jesus is the centerfold of that. And the same way for our winter and our end of the year celebration is, is that we have this party that the people getting baptized are not the centerfold. It's what God is doing in their life. That Jesus is the center of this party. And it says in there that Jesus is reclining at the table. Jesus is reclining with tax collectors and sinners alike. Because again, if Matthew is a tax collector, the Jewish elect, the Jewish righteous, and the Jewish people are not hanging out with Matthew. Matthew's friends are not people that are quote-unquote clean. They're not people... um, that are like upstanding people in the Jewish culture is that most of his friends are either going to be other tax collectors or people that nobody wants anything to do with. And he is throwing a party and bringing all of his friends that are viewed as sinners and outcasts and Jesus is reclining with them. Jesus is with them. Jesus sees them. And he goes to be with them. And then we have this little scene of, um, the, t- of the Pharisees going and talking to the disciples. Now, I, I don't really know what is happening in this scene. Like, are, are the disciples outside? Are the disciples inside? Is this house really big? Um, we don't really get a clear picture of what this is. But it seems like the Pharisees are going to the disciples rather than to Jesus. The Pharisees are going in there. Maybe they are trying to, um, to deceive the, the disciples. Maybe they're trying to, to sow seeds of doubt in the disciples' minds that, that Jesus is not this, this good guy because they ask him, they ask them a question and says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They don't ask Jesus that. Um, they ask the Pharisees. Why is Jesus doing this? I think that's similar to the question that people were asking me is, is, why are you out here? Why are you doing this? Why, why, why are you hanging out with people that I don't think that you should hang out with? Why are you putting effort into people that aren't worth it? Why, why are you doing this? What, what, is your, what is your motivation in doing this? See, I think people of mercy, they reject the messages of the world. That here we have these Pharisees coming in and saying, you shouldn't be. That question isn't, why are you doing this? They don't don't really want to know the why. They already have a reason in mind that they're asking this question is, and that is to judge Jesus, that somehow Jesus is less because he's hanging out with these individuals. 
that sometimes the world is trying to tell us things about how we should follow Jesus or who we should hang out with or the type of people that we should associate with or what even being a Christian is about, what following Jesus is all about. And Jesus here is, saying, is, is trying to reject that and say, I am doing this because I see people. And so I think that's like what Jesus is saying, reject the world and embrace me. Now, does the world say aspects of who Jesus is? Absolutely. This church does all these different things. Do they, do they showcase aspects of Jesus? Absolutely. But he's saying to follow me. Then he responds to them. He, he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those are sick. But those who are sick. That he's saying that I want to hang out with people who know that they need a physician. That, that Jesus is, is proclaiming that everybody is sick, but he, wants to, he is hanging out with people who know that they are sick and know that they need to be well. Matthew, in this, in this moment, he, he got that. He understood that, that whenever Jesus acknowledges him and calls him, that he says, I, I want a part of this cure. And then he ends with this. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. In that piece, right in the middle of it, it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament prophet, Hosea. Hosea is a prophet. He's in the land of Judah. Judah is um, a collection um, of parts of the tribes of, parts of, the tribes of Israel. And um, in the book of Hosea, as much of the Old Testament is, is that... Um, the uh, Jewish people, uh, the people of Judah, are non-repentant. Um, they are kind of worshiping uh, religiosity. They're worshiping kind of these other things, and they're, they're kind of casting out people. And again, it's kind of like this, this religious elect that, that Judah, um, that he is currently rebuking in that. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that passage. So it's, it's in uh, Hosea 6.6. 6. I, I don't have this on the board um, for y'all, so I apologize um, about that. But kind of in this, this part where Hosea is, is urging Israel and Judah to repent and to turn back to the ways of God, um, they say, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So in this, he replaces the word um, steadfast love and not sacrifice. He, he, Jesus replaces that with, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That this word um, means to them, they, they would have heard it the same way. I desire steadfast love. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, this is Jesus showing mercy to the Pharisees. My next thing, people of mercy, they show mercy to all. They show mercy to everyone. Regardless, Matt talked a lot about it last week, is, is regardless if we feel like they need it or not, the weak, the strong, Jesus extends mercy to all. That he is explaining to the Pharisees, the Pharisees are viewing Jesus, they're, they're, they're associating him, saying that you are associating with, with low people, so you are somehow less. That you are less of a follower of God, that you are less a follower of Yahweh because of the people that you are associating with. And Jesus is urging them, saying, it is, I do not delight in these burnt offerings. I delight in people who show steadfast love. I delight in people who show mercy, not sacrifice. 
This is part of even what, what God constantly is revealing in my life. That I could, I could tell you guys things that, that I sacrifice to be on campus. The things that I sacrifice to, to follow God. That I, things that I sacrifice to work in um, a church of college students. Now, I don't want to say that it's all bad. Like I, I love um, working with college students. I love being a part of Cornerstone. Um, I, would, I would not be up here if I did not genuinely um, love being with college students. But I have, to, I have to remind myself that it isn't about me working for a church. It's not about um, having friends. It's not about um, making myself feel better because 30 people came to my corner that night. Or everybody that I invited to church came. Or, or any of those things. Any, any of these ways in which that I want to pride myself um, in things that I do. Is that no? It's, it's how I it's how I love people. It's how I show mercy to people. It's how I'm compassionate towards people. I don't know about you all, but like I I wrestle with this constantly. Like what what is my motivation in doing things? Why do I ask people to come to church? <laughs> Why do I ask people to come to corner? Why do I invite people to the table? Matthew instantly invites all of his friends to a table so they can encounter Jesus. Why does he do that? I think it's because he sees people. I think it's because he reclines with sinners, because he associates with them. I think it's because he rejects these lies that the world is sending on there. And I think it's because he shows compassion and mercy to everyone. And in the same way that Jesus is the center of this story and Jesus exemplifies all of these things, I think Matthew exemplifies the same people. Same thing. Jesus, or Matthew, now that he is following Jesus, that, that he is going and he's associating with Jesus, he could turn his back on all these people. He could turn his back on these other tax collectors. He could turn his back on these other sinners. And he doesn't. He, he sees them. He brings with them. He continues to, he brings them to the table. He continues to associate with them. That he, even if he hears lies, if he maybe hears what the Pharisees are saying, he rejects those. And he is showing mercy to all people. And, he, and what he does is, is he brings people to that table. Because Jesus says, I came to heal the sick. I came those that know that they need a physician. That he didn't want to, to mechanically implement these rules. He didn't want to mechanically um, showcase like what it means to be a person of mercy. No, he's like, I'm going to exemplify what a person of mercy looks like. I want to share another story that I think also exemplifies this idea of being a person of mercy and seeing people, seeing particularly another tax collector. Um, it's in Luke 19, um, 1 to 10. It's about... A man named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, again, is a, is a tax collector similar to Matthew. And Jesus is going uh, to call Zacchaeus. So here we go, uh, picking up in one. So he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Focus on that. That Jesus came to the place and he looked up and said to him. 
He could have looked up, seen this man, and carried on his way. But no, he saw this guy going out of his way to see Jesus, and he saw him back. It says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, this story parallels to Matthew 9 incredibly well. It takes out the Pharisees, but we still see Jesus seeing people, seeing someone who is both small and an undesirable. And he calls them. He calls them. And then instead of saying, for they know, for I, I came to be with the sick, for they know they need a physician, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That Zacchaeus was lost. And that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. I want to ask this question now. Like, do you all know that you are seen? Do you know that you are invited to the table? Like, what a... Whenever I read Zacchaeus, I just get, the story of Zacchaeus, I get excited because it's Jesus seeing me. That Jesus sees me. He sees you and he calls each of you. That if we would say that we are truly followers of Jesus, then that means by nature that we have been called. That the followers of Jesus were called. That Jesus sees you, he knows you, he sees you deeply and intimately, and then calls you forward. You know that you have a seat at that table with Jesus. That at that table, the focal point is Jesus, but that we get to be at that table. And we get to share in that feast, that we get to share in that party with him. That gets me excited is the fact that that Jesus sees me. And I think Jesus sees us all and wants us all, not just the people in this room, to know that he sees them. We're doing this new thing at Cornerstone that's called um, Huddles, and, and Huddles um, are discipleship groups based upon shapes. And, and shapes are just like a fancy it's not even that fancy. They're just this, they're tools to explain biblical truths. And one of them is, uh, it's this um, circle, but it's called the missional living wheel. And the missional living wheel um, is right here. It's all about like building relationships with people and, and kind of like showing where, where are roadblocks in our life. And um, so it's kind of like introduction is kind of meeting people, general conversation, is, is just general conversations, um, just like kind of sparking up like, man, do you like the bears? Yeah, me neither. They stink. Um, and so then you kind of like form over, yeah, man, this team stinks. Or, or man, I love Harry Styles. Or I don't even know who Harry Styles is. Um, or whatever it is that you are into. Start having conversations about that. And then how that can lead into spiritual conversations. What do you know about God? What, what, what do you believe? What do you believe happens when we die? Or, or how do you become a good person? Or X, Y, or Z, whatever. Gospel content is moving beyond spiritual conversation and saying, this is what I believe. This is what I believe about God, and this is how I believe God wants to have a relationship with us. And then it kind of ends with, with a gospel decision. And so it's just kind of like moving through, like how can I move through this with people? Um, It's not meant to be mechanical. It's more meant to be like, man, where do we struggle? Where where, where do we get caught up? But I want to focus on just these two, introduction, general conversation. 
because I, uh, I just, I, I love these two. I love these two sections. Um, again, like I just love talking to people. Um, I love uh, having friends. So stage one, I, I'm just going to read this. This is, this is straight from um, our manual. It says stage one is about getting outside of your Christian bubble, your neighbor, your local barista, people at the gym, workplace, class, neighborhood are all within your sphere of influence. Jesus tells his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Again, follow me. Jesus makes this practical, something easy for his disciples to understand. Before you can share the gospel with them, you have to introduce yourself to know their name. Every day we choose to see people as either um, scenery, machinery, or ministry. And, and I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll kind of unpack this here in a minute. But scenery, machinery, or ministry. Scenery, you're rushing past people. We see people every day. We're just rushing past people. We have our headphones in. Um, we're just moving beyond, and, and we just miss people. Machinery is this idea, um, treating people like they're just there to perform a task for you. They're only in your life to, to serve some other purpose that, that meets one of your needs. Or ministry, treat, treating people like God's sons and daughters, desperate for the ministry of reconciliation to, to himself. Ministry, um, I kind of struggle with this term, but like I'm really trying to embrace it, um, to redeem it, because Jesus in um, 2 Corinthians 5 says that it is his ministry of reconciliation, that he is reconciling people to himself, that that is why he's here, is, is a ministry of reconciliation, and that we get to be a part of that ministry. And so kind of everybody in our life can kind of fall into these three categories. Now, it's more nuanced than that, but like, again, I, I, I'm breaking it down to, to those three right now. Um, stage two is about building relationships, caring for people in your life who don't know Jesus. Have ears to hear where they are hurting and eyes to see how you and your community can come around them and serve them tangibly. Introduce your Christian friends and community to them. Find ways to hang out outside of context in which you know each other. Um, i.e. classroom, workplace, coffee shop. Um, ask questions to get to know them better, to uncover needs and listen for areas where you can see a need for the Savior. Remember the things they share with you and follow up often with them. Really, the stage is about being a good friend in a world where trust and relationships have been trampled on. I did a really bad job whenever I was calling that guy Alex Chris. Um, at the front, the back to like that Battle of the Birds story is that, that I was calling Alex Chris, that, that I was trying to remember his name. Now, to be fair to me, Chris responded whenever I said Chris. So Alex responded whenever I called him Chris. Um, but I think we can all do well in this or um, sometimes we struggle with this. But anyways, I, I think we see these, these happening in the stories, these, these forms of machinery, scenery, ministry. Machinery Tax collectors, they use their own people for financial gain. That the tax collectors are not um, absolved of their um, wrongdoings is, is that they are literally using their people to gain financial prosperity. And the Pharisees, they see people as a means for status. That they see people and say, like, man, they, they demean Jesus' identity because who he hangs out with and they uphold their own because look, like, I'm not associating myself with those people. I am better. Y'all, machinery, I can do this so often. I can do this in ministry that, like, that's why I'm trying to redeem this term ministry is, is that, like, man, I view people um, in my flesh. I can, I can view people as a number. As like, I, I want more people in my group or I want people to do ministry the way that I'm doing it. That if somehow, if, if somebody doesn't do ministry the way that I do, that says something poorly about me. That sometimes whenever I, I go into Coffee Hound, I, I want to build relationships with them, but sometimes I just view them as people that can give me um, a drink, as somebody that, that can serve me. Sometimes, like, what are ways that you view people as machinery in your life that, that people are just there to, to help you with that project in class? Or this person is just that annoying person down the hall that keeps me up because they're blaring their music. That that person is only there. Or even in churches that like, 
I want you to come to church because I will get to be viewed better. That somebody will see me bringing somebody to church. Not that I want them to experience God. I think there are so many ways in which that we can just use people for our gain. Scenery. Tax collectors and sinners in this one. They're scenery to the Jewish people that they just want to move beyond them. They don't want to recognize them and see them. They just, they just want to move on. And then ministry. We see this. We see Jesus reclines with sinners. Matthew makes room at the table. That, that both of these characters are exemplifying what a ministry of mercy can look like in bringing people to experience Christ or ultimately asking people to come and follow him in a, in a ministry relationship with him. That Jesus is, is going with us. That Mike said, I, I can't remember totally what Mike's definition of mercy was in week one, but it was something along the lines of, uh, Mike, can you just say it out loud? You're, you're in here. What was your definition from week one? You remember? Okay, not just getting something that you don't deserve, but God moving towards you, God blessing you. And so us not only not receiving condemnation from Jesus, but we also get, we receive a relationship with him. That that is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not only seeing people, not condemning them, but he is going and he is present with them. And that in that ministry of reconciliation, in that ministry, Jesus is asking us to join him in that call with him, that that is what that missional living wheel is all about, is how we get to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation with Jesus at the center, that we get to bring people to this table to experience Jesus. That yes, we are going to have a bunch of bad motivations in bringing people to the table, but ultimately I think all of us want to showcase that the reason we want people at the table is because they get to experience Christ. And that we get to experience Christ with them. Now some of the questions that we ask with the missional living wheel that that come with it are these questions of who are the people in your life that you are tempted to treat as machinery or scenery and not ministry? What are the barriers that prevent you from inviting someone to your table? Who are people in your life? That you're just tempted to view as machinery or scenery and not ministry. And what barriers prevent you from moving beyond that? I want you guys to to close your eyes with me and just think about that for like 15 seconds is who are the people in your life? Think about these faces. They can be nameless faces that you don't even know about. That like whenever I was in the wilderness, I was praying for people that I had never met. That I won't meet for six months. Who do you see? Whenever you think about this, who do you see? You can identify people. I have this thing of identifying people in tables. Because there are people in your life that Jesus sees, that he wants you to see because he has seen you. That almost doesn't even sound like a real sentence. I just said seen so many times. Jesus sees other people. Will you let them know that they are seen? What tables are you at? Now, I swear that I did not plan this beforehand, but I'm going to use a pun. One of the tables that I'm at is a ping pong table. I can tell you guys right now, I don't like ping pong. 
Yeah, I know, gasp. I'm, I'm sorry, Quinn, Andrew, Josh. I don't like ping pong. Um, it's fine. Like, okay, I won't say I don't like it, but I don't love ping pong. Um, I am going into the dorms uh, once a week for like an hour and a half to play ping pong. What is a 32-year-old married man that has two cats going into the dorms for? Like, why am I doing that? It's kind of weird. Um, And I don't even like ping pong. It's because my friend Garrett likes ping pong. (laughs) Garrett is somebody that I have at my table, that I want to experience Jesus wholeheartedly. Like, I want him to experience that love of Christ. Because that, that, that relationship with Jesus, it transforms everything. That's why I'm in the dorms. Like, I want to see Garrett because he, Christ has seen me. I think he sees Garrett. And I want, to, I want him to know that I see him, that I value him, and that he is important to me. Who do you see? Who has God placed in your life? Who has God put on your heart to experience that? Keep, and my last one is, is keep an open spot at your table. I understand that, like, hey, we, we have a lot of relationships in our lives. Like, it is impossible to keep up with all of them. I know there is a lot of people that you could potentially talk to. Keep an open spot at your table. That is why I have such a low bar for friendship is that if I literally know your name, you're my friend. That's what I consider. Lucy, much higher bar. Me, low bar. Um, Lucy, she's going to keep an open spot at her table. She might keep one. I'm trying to have like 50. Um, I just want to be friends with everybody. And like I said, I am tempted to have gross motivations in why I want an open spot at that table. Because I do view it as like, man, maybe people will think better of me. Or maybe they'll just like me. I want to be liked. I don't know that that there's anybody in here that doesn't want to be liked. Um, Maybe if I have more friends, I'll be affirmed. Maybe if I have more friends, then people will be like, dang, man, Kyle must be awesome. Sometimes I just feel lonely and like I, I want friends because it will not make me feel lonely. But I think also the reason I want to build friends with, with people is because I, I want them at that table. I want them to experience Jesus. And I, I want to love and I want to care about them because I do care about them. I want them to feel loved and cared about. I started off the morning asking that question of, why are you here? Why are you out here? People ask me that question, why, why are you out here? Why are you out here doing these games? Why, why are you doing this stuff? I didn't come to college knowing Jesus. I uh, probably would have said I believed in God, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus. My best friend, Joey, who I've known since I was five, um, got a part of this campus church and had his life radically transformed by the gospel. And after our freshman year, um, he started uh, just praying for me that summer between our freshman and sophomore year. And whenever we came back our sophomore year, he um, invited me to come and be a part of this community and started sharing about the love of Jesus. And my life was transformed. That I would not be here if Joey had not cared about me and said, hey, do you want to come be a part of this campus church? Do you want to come be a part of this? You, do you want to come experience what a relationship with God looks like? That life transformation is why we did Battle of the Birds. That life transformation is, is that I believe, even of an inkling, that if somebody gets connected to somebody here, that they can experience community, and through community, they can experience Jesus. 
that battle of the birds was just something of like, I want to showcase that I have a hundred spaces at my table. That whenever somebody comes there, even if I say their name wrong, that I'm trying to remember their name because I want them to know that they are seen and that they are wanted at that table. That we do not invite people. I don't want us to invite people to join our table just to be at the table, to make ourselves feel better. But I want us to invite people to the table so their lives can be transformed. I believe that your all's lives have been transformed by the gospel in the same way that my life was transformed. I've been, I've been mulling over this, like, I, I don't have a slide for it, but like, what people of mercy look like is anybody. People of mercy just look like you and me. What matters is, is how do people of mercy look at other people? That's my, that's my question for you guys is, is, will you see people? Because Jesus sees you. Would you all pray with me? Uh, Jesus, I just thank you um, that you do see us, that you move beyond, um, yeah, you move beyond our sin, you move beyond our dirtiness, our uncleanliness, you move beyond our sickness, and you draw us closer to you pray that that Cornerstone would be a community that sees people, that we would care about people. I pray that we would that we repent of the ways in which that we can use people or that we can ignore people or that we can um, yeah, just move too quickly through our lives and, and would we just see somebody this week? Jesus. Amen.